Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. All those who have come out here to Living Messiah and those online uh, who are joining us, thanks for joining us. As you know, livingmessiah.com is our website. You can find the donate button there, and we want to thank all of you for your participation and, and your help and uh, your love. We thank you for that. Um, let me open in prayer, because today I'll probably kind of be moving a little maybe a little bit faster, because I want to make sure we get through this today. So hopefully we'll see how it goes. Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Shabbat, a day that you called out, that we delight to enter in, to get closer to you, to understand you more. Father, be empowered, be... uh, Father... It's this time that, as you know, you know who we are. We're in of need always. And Father, be with us today. So, and have your spirit be here and, and empower us so we can overcome all things that come before us. Father, we thank you. We thank you because of all what you've done through your son, Yeshua, our Messiah, and your king. Amen. All right, um, and as you know, there's some mics out there. Just raise your hand for if you want to, if you have a comment or a question. Uh, we just ask to be uh, be brief and on point. Make sure the mic's up close to your mouth so all can hear, uh, including Ward. Um, and because uh, the whole point is that we're, we all are here to learn together. So I'm not even really going to do it a review. Well, I guess it is a review. I can't help myself. Paul and Barnabas are now at Antioch in Poseidon. They have been asked to bring some words of encouragement to that assembly there. Paul is in the midst of addressing Jewish and God-fearing members of this assembly. What we looked at last week, he started with the Exodus story, then to the prophet Samuel, followed by King Saul, and then uh, King David and makes a comparison or even a connection with David, King David and Yahshua, the Messiah. He basically says this, David, according to the promise, Elohim, Israel, a savior, Yahshua. So why did Paul speak? One of the questions I'm always asking things as I go through, as you know, why didn't Paul speak about his encounter on the way to Damascus here with his brothers? He didn't. So that's a puzzling thing, and maybe that's something entertain your mind. It's one of those things I thought about, but I I had to move on because I saw something else that was important. But he didn't just come out with that. You know, that is interesting in itself. Paul, but in this address, Paul references Second Psalm. We read that. Then he references another psalm, which is the Psalm 16. Okay? That psalm contained a phrase that he uses in part of his witnessing or his addressing the assembly here. And it says this, You shall not uh, give your kind one to see corruption. That's going to be my major focus today or in my study that I come across. And again, this is my personal Bible study that I'm so honored to share with you guys, okay? I'm learning as you guys are learning, okay? So, but that phrase caught my eye or stuck with, okay? So, real briefly, I'll read this section of Acts. This is what Paul is saying, And when he raised him uh, out of the dead, referring to Yahshua, no more to return to corruption. He has said this, I shall give you the trustworthy kindness of David. For this reason, he also says in another psalm, this being 16, you shall not give your kind one to see corruption. For David, indeed, having served his own generation by the counsel of Elohim, fell asleep 
was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom Elohim raised up saw no corruption. Let, there, uh, let therefore be known to you, brothers, that through this one forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, I mentioned um, Peter at Pentecost. He references King David in the same way that he even said King David, that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Okay, speaking at the Temple Mount, speaking at the Temple. Being a prophet, then knowing that Elohim has shown, had sworn an oath to him, being David, to his lords according to the flesh to raise up Messiah. This is what Peter's saying. Messiah to sit on that throne. So obviously, the, what point Paul is trying to make here, like Peter, what's the purpose of comparing David's grave to the risen Messiah? And I think it's, I'm just going to uh, let you guys know. It seems like it's about resurrection of the dead, right? Yeah. I think it's quite clear what Paul's trying to convey here. Okay. So David was, uh, uh, so that's where I think the purpose of Peter and the purpose that Saul is doing, he's comparing the grave of David to Messiah. But to understand more about the significance of the resurrection of the dead, then we have to understand more about David and the history of David and the promises given to David and the things that David hung on to through his whole life. Okay? So it is about the resurrection of the dead. I am convinced of that. And I'll share some later on, some other commentary from various sources that, no, oh, I don't see it quite that way, which... I understand what they're seeing, but when you encompass the whole thing of all the promises, I think it's quite clear what Paul is bringing out here. So, so, uh, so it must be about the seed of David according to the flesh, but raised him up, uh, raised up the flesh again from the dead, resurrection. And it's interesting. Um, I had to bring this in here. Luke 24, 37. Messiah, after he was resurrected, he made a point here. See my hands and my feet? It is, it's me. It's me, guys. Right? That's what he's saying. Handle and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So he's making a point Okay, this isn't just some spiritual thing in the mind. No, I'm right here. Okay, connecting in my, I would say, the spirit in the flesh. Connecting that. It is about a physical resurrection. A physical resurrection, right? So Paul is pointing out something special, promised and hoped for, that I see in Psalm 16. Um, this brings to this, uh, us this phrase, kind ones. What is a kind one? You know, is a kind one just, you know, I mean, because we use that word, and I could say, okay, oh, my brother is so kind, he split that piece of pizza with me, okay? All I'm saying is I think this idea of kind is much deeper, or at least that's what I discover. How, you know what I mean? Because we can just use that word kind and and maybe interpret it a little bit different. You know, if I'm kind, I'm going to be good. Is there more to this idea of being kind? So looking into that word, I found that it is related to refuge, deliverance, and not seeing corruption. Hmm. So this unveiling a deeper meaning in the Psalm 16, in my opinion. So let's look at the last half of Psalm 16, we read the first half last week, but the first half, or the psalm begins with this, guard me, O L, guard me, my God, for I have taken refuge in you. I have said to Yahuwah, you are Yahuwah, I have no good besides you. There is nothing good except you. Mm, pretty powerful. All right. So how does then one take refuge in the Lord? These are the questions I started asking myself. Okay, how does one take refuge? 
What does that look like then? Okay? Is it just a mind thing? You, oh, I just think God's over me and he protects me. Is it just up here? I don't know. Maybe we'll see something. But, and how is it related to kindness after all? Because that seems to be, that's where I saw the connection. Now, I'm going to read this from Hebrews. Um, and I think it has a lot of significance because we are talking about the resurrection of the dead. We're talking about the scene, unseen but seen things, a reality. Yes, uh, um, Valerie. Okay, so you're talking about kindness and that how you're saying it goes deeper than that. In Romans 2.4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of Elohim leads you to repentance? Mm, very good. And that's exactly so. This, I would say, at least what I was saying and want to share is, there's something more about kindness. Is it just that he was kind? Okay? I think I... Hopefully what I share, you'll have a, a little bit, uh, hopefully a dim, uh, more connected with this idea kind when you read just what you read, okay? So in the Hebrews, and, and this has to deal with this whole concept too. Um, for you have no need of, uh, need of endurance so that when you have done the des desire, you have no need of endurance. For you have need of endurance. Excuse me. You have need of endurance. Means you got to go. This is uh, Hebrews 10, 36, and I'm going to go right to 11 real quick. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the desire, action, right? The desire of Elohim, you receive the promise. Because it is about the promise that Paul is pointing out here, the promise of David. You promised that your kind one, kind one would not see corruption. For yet a little while, he who is coming shall come and shall not delay. But the righteous shall live. You guys know this one. The righteous shall live by belief, faith, trust. But if anyone draws back from that belief, that trust, my being has no pleasure in him. Wow. But we are not of those who draw back. Right, guys? No, we cannot draw back. Back to the destruction. But of that belief, that faith, that trust to the preservation of life. Mm, that sounds resurrection-y, right? Then 11.1 begins, Hebrews 11.1, and belief, faith, trust is the substance of what is expected. I mean, you can see it. The proof of what is not seen. Look how Messiah said, I'm the proof. See my hands? I'm alive. I'm the proof of what you can't see. Right? Expected the proof of what is not seen. For by this, the elders, or those in the past, obtained a witness. By belief, faith, trust, we understand that the ages were pro uh, prepared by the word of Elohim so that so what is seen was not made by what is visible. Again, in the background, this does have to do with this idea of seeing corruption and resurrection. So let's get to um, Psalm 16, the latter half, where this appears. So this is that verse 10 here, Psalm 16:10 is the one that Paul is grabbing as he's speaking. But if you've learned anything, you just can't take that quote. Paul doesn't just mean that. He means all of the Psalm 16, all of that. You have, you know what I mean? He I, I, I use this reference. When I reference to you the day that we eat turkey, okay? you know there's, there's much more to that idea than just a day of turkey, right? So that's what I'm saying. He's referencing this verse, knowing that you know more that's encompassed in this idea. So 
I have set Yahweh always before me because he is at my right hand, and I am not shaken. This is David at one of his times in his life that I think it was uh, King Saul was pursuing him. But this could be for any of us, and we're in turmoil or something is on us, right? Therefore, my heart was glad and my esteem. Think about that. My esteem, my weight of all who I am, David says, rejoices. My flesh also rejoices in safety. For you do not leave my being to the grave, neither let your kind one see corruption. You show me the path of life. In your presence is joy to satisfaction. At your right hand are pleasures forever. So, some, some translations that you'll maybe in yours as well, uh, this verse 10, this kind one is translated kind one here. Some men of mercy, others have pious man, holy one. It was interesting when I was looking through it, it says holy one, but it's not holy one. You look at it, it has nothing to do with kadosh. Oh, it does, but it's not kadosh. It's not a set-apart one, okay? So it is specific in its meaning. But others, I said holy man, pious one. So th this is important to me for the study because Paul is using it to support the good news of the risen Messiah. Why else would he just grab some kind of cool text? He's grabbing it for a reason. So the first reference of this kind one, if you go back, okay, that it appears, it appears in the blessing of Moses on when Moses blessed the tribes before they entered the promised land. A kind one is found in the blessing to the Levi by Moses. And this is right before Moses' death when he makes that blessing upon them before they go over. It's interesting. It says something to the effect of, um, I'm going to read you the definitions and then tell you first. Uh, perfections and your lights be to your kind one, your godly one. And this can be for another time. But basically, when I said perfections and lights, that's the umen and thumen, if I'm pronouncing The stones that were given to the high priest to weigh out. And if you look at the, about <laughs> Levi strove with Elohim at uh, the bitter waters those two times, I think a lot has to do with, it's also Moses here. But it's getting conveyed as they are the kind ones. And I think it has to do with did they participate in the golden calf? I would say to some extent, yes. But after they said what? I'll stand here with Yahuwah. They made a choice. They made a choice. And I think that action, there we see the idea of what a kind one was. And I know that's not making any sense, but we'll see here what that idea, how it gets buried. I just want to say that's the first place it pops up. But where it gets more clear um, is later on here. The very word itself is kasid, 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 okay? Properly, kind, uh, pious. You can see where others would translate that over. Holy one, pious one, right? Merciful one. Um, it's very, it's real interesting, okay? Uh, so this, this kindness, the definition, and with us, we know the, ki the definition of kindness is being have a sympathetic nature uh, or a quality or state of being sympathetic in the sense of ultimately in the Hebrew, also later on I saw, had an idea of bowing the neck to another one to show kindness. Now, we're way off here, bowing the neck, and I'm talking about refuge and resurrection. Right? I understand that. Because it took me a while as I was going through to see maybe what was going on. So this idea of kind one, also uh, mercies connected, loving kindness, and we'll get to that one too. Goodness, uh, 
uh, merciful, favor, good, the goodness, pity, right? So let's start with the verb first, because I, I, to me, it's like I, it worked for me when I went back to the verb first, and then all the words that are formed out of that verb, they, they'll have a com- something in common, at least that's, I'm no Hebrew expert, but over the years looking, it's like that worked for me and that makes sense. Okay, because it's an action language. It's about actions and not a noun. It's about what you do, not what you sit and stagnant are. Right. So, the verb, the verb kasa. Uh, okay, its prime root to flee for protection. Air, kind of have hope, make refuge, trust. Even is associated here. All right. So, take note of the refuge and the protection part. Look at this. The parent root that all these words come from, even the verb, comes from the semich and the het. Okay, the het semich. Okay, and there, these are like the ideas behind these two, uh, the pictures behind these two characters. You have thorns and you have a wall. Okay? So ultimately, it's a wall of thorns. So what's that have to do? What's the purpose? What would a purpose of a wall of thorns be? And I know Dan and Renee are actually working on, figuratively, a, a wall of protection, right? Down on the property. That's what it's used for, a wall of thorns. And one, it protects from outside, but it also what? Protects them from leaving, too. That might be kind of scary depending on where you're at, right? But if we're talking about Elohim, that must be a good thing that he wants to keep me in a boundary somewhere, right? Wouldn't you say? So that's what I think it is. So it's to keep in and to keep out. An example of this very verb would be this. By, by his own evil doings, the wrong one, right, is thrust down. But the righteous has refuge, not just refuge, but refuge in his death. And that word is death, has refuge. So when I was reading it, it's up there it says it's figuratively. It's like, I don't think there's anything figuratively about this. Okay? Honestly. Okay? Figuratively. Because we're talking about concrete. That's really what we, we should be out of. It sounds like the righteous have no hope. Because they have no refuge. If you're not righteous. Another noun from this parent root with the picture of this wall of protection is the word some of you are very familiar with. I know, I know Mark is and some of you who've been here for a while is uh, chesed. Chesed which is loving-kindness. Chesed has the idea of kindness, and a lot of times uh, it, people will relate, it's loving-kindness. It's, it's kindness is what it is. Okay? Now, an example of this noun Is this in your in your kindness you led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength you guide them to your set apart dwelling. So just what I did is like, well, if I'm looking at this idea of refuge, let's replace that. In your replace that kindness with refuge or protection. Because ultimately, that's the action behind this. Because this is all an action thing here. He didn't just show kindness and they headed off into the wilderness, right? He went with them. So Exodus 15 here is saying, in your protection and in your refuge, you led the people. Is it a noun or is it more? There was a little bit of action going on behind what was going on. 
So the hand of protection is here. He led them with a hand of protection. Here's some more examples. But showing kindness to thousands, to those who love me and shamar, guard my commands. Again, replace kindness here with refuge or protection. So it would be like this. But showing kindness, but showing refuge and protection to thousands of those who he has stipulations in some ways, at least that's what I would say. You'll have refuge and protection if you love me and you guard my commands. And I guess what I'm getting at for me when I was looking at it, it's like, there's, maybe I would hope you agree behind this idea of kindness, there's a little bit more just being nice. Right? Way more than I... So like when Val read about the kindness of the Most High, I think, wow, we, we are learning that there's so much more to that action of protection and refuge that He has done for us. At least for me. Showing refuge, showing kindness. Check this out. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed this one Moses. Moses, this is even, Moses is being passed over here. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh. Yahweh and El, compassionate and showing favor, patient and great in kindness and truth. Watching over kindness for thousands, forgiving crookedness. Oh, now we're starting to get into forgiveness of sins and stuff like that because Paul started bringing that into what he started speaking about. Leaving, but by no means leaving unpunished. Visiting, visiting the crookedness to the fathers upon the children, children, children to the third and fourth generation. What did... Uh, this event, what did Moses ask that this occurred? Remember, he asked, show me your glory, right? That's what he asked. So in, in real simply, show me the weight of all who you are, the Most High. What are you all about? That's what, in some sense, I think, not to simplify it that much, but yet, who are you? I've been following you. Who, what are you all about? All the path and the ways are kindness and truth to those who guard, and here it's not Shamar, but it has this idea of watch. To those who watch his covenant and his witnesses. So the paths are a refuge and a protection. So you see, in a sense, what would those paths and those directions of guidance be? Ultimately, it's his commandments are a protection for us. They protect us. If we stay in the protective area, it protects us from going out, and it protects us then from those dangers that may come in at the same time. But back when we back in Exodus 20, what we read, it was interesting. This protection, if we look at the pathways, are a refuge, a protection. They are trustworthy and true if we really want to expand upon this. And only those who hear and do, like in Exodus 26, proclaims the Shemar, the hear, do. Yes, did someone have their hand up? I'm sorry. Go ahead. So when you were asking, who are you? You're asking, who are you? What are you? 
And I was thinking about that when you, I don't know if you can go back a few slides when you first introduced the definition of uh, kindness, um, when it talked about a saint or a holy man. Y yes, yes. It defined the, a ki uh, uh, the word is ki uh, kiss. What is the word? Uh, no. Kassid. Kassid. Okay. Uh, a, yes. A, a so kind one. when you introduced that word and it, 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 it was defining it as a saint or a holy man, and if you think about that, let me see how I can word this. The saint can only be a person who, or a holy man, is that that lives within the boundaries of the word of God. So they're using a definition of something to define kindness, but what is the definition of a holy man or a saint? That can only be defined as one who lives within the boundaries of the word of God. Those are his protective boundaries of his lifestyle. And so when we ask Yahuwah, who are you? He's the one that lives within those same boundaries. That's who he is. That's what he is. One that lives within his word. Yes. No, I think that's, and that, that is beautiful. And I, I, I didn't mean to infer that those translations, a holy one or a saint, were wrong. I, but, but like you're pointing out, it's like, okay, you can see the connection why maybe some of the translators did so. You know, and, and, I, and you'll find that in Scripture, too. You, Proverbs, how many times you have a word and another word. It's the same Different words, but it's trying to convey that same thought in another way. So make sure you get it, right? Or make sure we get it, right? So, did comment? Or no, no. Okay. So, an yet another noun, but we're making our way back to the Psalm 16 in Paul. Okay. And actually, this goes along with what kind of what Polly was saying. We have this other noun, kasad, okay? And you can see some of the definitions that I have found through the Blue Letter Bible and, uh, um, and what have you in looking at this. But look down to where you see to be good, kind. And then it talks about the, the late Hebrew, okay? And it derives from a particular word. This, there's this idea. So here you see the late Hebrew and the use of the word being used here to bow the head. So now we're seeing how that association of bowing one head is an, I, the, that idea of being kind. Okay? But then you see in Samuel there, with the kind, you show yourself kind. So the, it's interesting the form of this, uh, the form of the Hebrew here, or why they translate it this way: with the perfect one, you show yourself perfect. So with the kind, you'll be kind. So I think if we want him to be kind, we need to be kind, right? But that section, be good, kind, okay. That late Hebrew, the highlighted word in the yellow, is the very word kind one, the chassid. It's the very word here. So that's the word we started with. So hopefully I can bring this together. Or hopefully, maybe you're seeing some awesome things as well. So you can see then, hopefully, this connection with mercy, kindness, loving, loving kindness, goodness, and, and these other words that get translated in there, where I just wanted to try to get more of a clearer, concrete idea that may be coming through there. Yes, Paul. One of the things that stands out to me is the verse 8 that says, I have set Yahuwah always before me. 
because is at my right hand and I am not shaken. And that whole concept or idea of setting Yahuwah before him is to level. It's kind of like, okay, if you're looking around and then once you see your target, what you're going to level your eyes at, and then uh, it brings in that you're going to yield, you're going to bring forth, you're going to make equal, you're going to make like a plan, profit, reckon. I think it, I'm going to take a stretch. Um, keeping our eyes focused, like if I'm leveling on a target or if I'm leveling my camera or whatever the case may be, if I level it, now I am better able to focus because I'm not shaken. And so when it says right there, I'm going to level Yahuwah before me always, he's at my right hand and I am not shaken. To me, that implies a sense of focus that's going to be. So why would he be considered a kind one? Because he's keeping the commandments and the Elohim of the commandments before him always. That's very, thank you, Paul. And that is one of the major things I see here with this, I, I can only say for me, this idea of refuge and protection that stood out. It's basic underlying idea as usual. Like I asked you how, do you, how do you get refuge from the Most High? By obeying His commandments keeps you in that protected place, that reference place. Yes. So to add what Paul was just saying about keeping it level, it reminds me of when you're building a structure. My dad was a carpenter. And when, he, you, know, when you build a structure and you're nailing all the things, you use the leveler to make sure that your structure is level. Otherwise, it's going to collapse on itself. And that reminds me, I think it's, I don't, I don't remember exactly where it is. I think it's in Matthew 7. Maybe I could be wrong. But um, it talks about how if you, if you put your house on sand, it's going to crumble over. But if you plant your house on a solid foundation, it's not going to crumble. So what is the solid foundation? The solid foundation is Torah. The solid foundation is the things of the word. And if you stand on that, you're not going to tumble. But if you put it on the sand on anything else but is the word, it's going to go all, all, all astray. Caddy Wampus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mark? There's another aspect to the refuge that we need to consider. This protection that you're referencing and that you're kind of showing through the word here. And that is, obviously, the Torah is going to bring us, as, as we walk in his ways, God's hand is upon us, and we have protection. It keeps the enemies at bay talks about sickness and disease. I won't put these on you. So there's so many levels of protection in that way. But there's another one. So there is, in a court setting, there is one that is seeking to bring a lawsuit against us, that is seeking to bring accusations against us. And because we have accepted the Redeemer as the covering over our punishment, we have legal protection. We have legal refuge under the blood of the Lamb. Mm, and it's awesome. Yeah, because it is all about the legalness of what's going on. So, for me then, uh, what I saw, refuge and protection stood out to me as the, the basic idea in this word kindness and kind one. The bowing of the neck is a sign of respect and kindness to an equal. It, that was part of the definitions, but, but I'm, I'm thinking, knowing more about the cultural uh, of the time would shed more light on that. I don't really want to even speculate. Oh, Dan, did you have a question or a comment? Real quick, just to piggyback on what Mark just said. Um, this, I think that's why this legal protection is in Messiah. So in John 15, he says, Remain in me, and I in you, and my words in you. And he repeats that a few times. If you want to bear fruit, 
for him, you have to remain in him. So it is a choice that we have to make to stay under that legal protection. The legal, it's the legal shield. Thank you very much. And it doesn't cost you 15 a month. Awesome. Yes. And when Mark said legal, it sparked a thing in me. Our whole Bible, our whole scripture is a legal document. It, if we ask, if we're walking in the truth of Yahweh, and we go to him in a courtroom setting, because as in heaven, so on earth, as on earth, so in heaven, we have a system here. It's kind of going by the wayside, but <laughs> a system of legal procedure. And when you go in the courtroom, you bring, first of all, you, play the, you pay the, the lawyer, the attorney, for help. And you go in the courtroom and you bring your petition. You write it down on a paper because that's what you do with a lawyer. This is my petition. This is what I'm asking the court to do for me. And so you bring that before the heavenly court. Oftentimes, in your mind, you'll hear from the other side what that's called, the other counsel. And they'll tell you how awful you are, how wrong you are. But your defense attorney is saying, no, this woman keeps the Sabbath. This woman keeps um, feast days. She has a legal pos uh, position to bring this petition before the court. So just remember that any time you are praying and you need something legally done for you, imagine you are a courtroom on earth and take that same scenario in your brain <laughs> and take it to the heavenly court because that's what's actually happening. Um, and again, Scripture is a legal document. It's legal. It's bound. It has to happen. Thank you, sister. And it's interesting. I had thought about mentioning this, and I'll mention it real quick, that idea of a court case. And Perry Beth and I, we just recently watched a court case, and um, uh, the, the, the defendant, and it's like, he really didn't have a good witness of who he was, and he was ripped apart because he, there was nothing that he had that he could stand on. So give me one second. Let me uh, get, uh, uh, we got Val and someone over here, right? Okay. Go ahead, Valerie, and then we'll go to over here. So I'd just like to add to her idea that not only is it a legal document, it's literally a ketubah of from Yahweh to us as his bride as he's going to bring us into um, when, when he, because the scripture says that when, when he brings his kingdom and he's reigning here on earth and we're going to have the, the feast, then he's going to consummate with us in a spiritual way. And there's like, there's a, I could go off, and off on a tangent with that whole thing, but right now I'm not going to. But as, as she's talking about like a legal document, it's like I, I would even say it's a ketubah. Thank you. And we're here. Probably. Yeah, I just wanted to point out um, the Apostle John in his first epistle, he spoke specifically about the, the legal protections we have in Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And that word advocate in the Greek is the word uh, parakletos, which is the same Greek word that John uses when Jesus speaks about the helper coming to be a helper, that word parakletos, someone to come alongside to help. So um, I think um, here in 1 John chapter 2, it speaks specifically about how we have an advocate, someone petitioning on our behalf. Um, because if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Excellent. I just wanted to Thank point you, that out. Brother. Thank you. I knew you would be. So if we look at this, for you do not leave my, uh, my being in the grave, this idea of resurrection here, neither let your kind one, one who is either getting protection, being protected, or in some ways maybe 
giving protection too because he is a king or David was to be a king, right? But you're kind one to see corruption and we saw this idea and how it's associated with the, uh, the kindness and the commandments. That's where the refuge is. So a kind one is one who takes refuge in the refuge, okay? The refuge that's provided. Not any the specific refuge that has been fired. Not just any refuge, but the, that specific refuge of the one who is giving it. And then, of course, the boundary lines are given within that idea that was pointed out. This word corruption here, being brought low. The pit, the grave, destruction, sakath. I think uh, is the, if I'm pronouncing it correctly in the Hebrew, it has destruction, corruption, destruction, uh, ditch, pit, grave. This verb is this idea of sinking down, to be bowed down, be humbled. And the most humbling thing that humanity has before us is death, right? That's the most humbling thing before us. I heard one pastor in the past he talked you know when you come into life uh, we come given life we're a baby and we're taken care of and then as we get older obviously certain our faculties go and we need someone to help us again that humility it begins in humility whether you realize it or not and ends in humility and that's why we're always children's right so in this psalm, some would argue here, the idea of the preservation of death, where David is not really talking about resurrection. This is what, uh, what they say. The main focus of the psalm is on life with Elohim and life apart from Elohim, not life and death. I read that, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me because... Life with Elohim is everything. It should be all everything. So it is talking about much more to me. I believe there is much more to this. A midrash teaching that it speaks about David's body would not decay. According to the rabbis, this verse proves neither corruption nor worm have power over David's flesh. And this caught my eye because maybe that's why Paul's using this idea about David's body, okay, and his tomb. In the, uh, the worms had no power over David's flesh, is the midrash. In the grave, his flesh will not dissolve like the dust. Some say the evidence suggests then that the rabbis did not understand the psalm to be speaking about resurrection. I can't speak to that, but I, Paul's bringing it out for sure. He's connected that this Messiah and resurrection and King David and the promises that have all been given come back to that. And maybe that's why he's pointing it out to his brothers because he knows his brothers maybe in some ways how we looked at so much. They're into traditions and stuff like that. I don't know. But maybe that's why. I, 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 I can't speak to that. But in that, I believe David saw I think Paul is trying to make a point to speak about David in that way that, you know, in David, in that David saw corruption, but David knew that he had a promise hanging on to. And I, I would think of it this way. David's crying out, yeah. All right, if you save me today from Saul, please. If not, I know I have a promise and I will be resurrected again, right? Something that we all need. So I hope you see Kassad, kind one, is related to refuge, deliverance, trust, and not seeing permanent corruption then, how Paul's bringing up. That means death as final. The hope that David had was that the seed from him, from David, would not see corruption and rule his people forever a promise from elohim 
Yeshua the Messiah would be that in much more as we know. That is why Paul and Peter, for that matter, do point out the seed of David as much bigger promise than just the king to rule over the people in the future generations. The seed is to rule over the generations that was, is, and will come. That's what I think is the big thing, and that includes us. And it's those who take refuge in all that Yahweh has, take refuge in what the refuge he's given us. And that's why, yes, we have to strive to keep his commandments, to keep under his guard, to keep under his kindness. And guess what? To be the same to others as well. So in short, it's about the resurrection of the dead that is to come. Check out how Paul continues, and I'll close here. And by him, everyone who believes is declared right from all sins from which you were not able to be declared right by the Torah or the instructions of Moshe. Watch then that was said to the prophets, do not, that does not come upon you. See, you despisers, marvel and, uh, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you would in no way believe if someone were to declare to you. To me, it's awesome how Paul grabs this as he's talking and what he's saying here. I'm going to close here, but because if you're looking, I was talking to Paul. Paul's bringing up some other deeper things that. We can't overlook. We'll get back to this next week. Okay? Father Yahweh, great and mighty you are. Father, we thank you for your kindness, your protection. Help us to understand that. Help us to be... Oh, we're, we're in such need, Father, all the time. If we really we know who you are, Father, help us. Help us with one another, help us to uh, continue to walk straight before you. Father, continue to provide. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you took the time to shed kindness upon us and give us a direction in our lives. We thank you. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad you guys come out. Those online, thanks for joining, and we'll get back into Acts 13 next week. Shalom.